0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Welcome to Logan Square Auditorium. And thank you for coming out to tonight's town hall discussion about uh, the fight to elect the school board here in the city of Chicago. My name is Will Gazzardi, uh and I'm pleased to have you all here in attendance. Uh, it's a pleasure to see so many familiar faces. First, a brief word about the format for this evening's discussion. Uh, I'm going to have each panelist speak for about three or four minutes. Uh, and then I'm going to ask each of these panelists a, a single question about an issue of their, of their expertise. Um, and after that point, uh, dur- during that conversation, we're going to be circulating clipboards throughout the audience, where if you all have a question for any or all of the panelists, you can write it down on the clipboard, uh, and then I'll, we'll collect those, those questions, and I will go through and call you out by name. Your name will be on there next to your question, so I'll call your name, and you can stand up and, and deliver, uh, ask your question to these fine panelists. Uh, hopefully that'll save us the hassle of everybody standing in line behind a microphone. I know nobody likes that. And... Uh, also will enable us to get through as many of y'all as possible. One thing that I will ask you, uh, I know that these fine folks could speak about a wide array of subjects, uh, chemistry, sports, uh, what have you, but... She
1: can talk about chemistry.
0: Chemistry, sports, uh, and what have you. Uh, But uh, please restrict your questions tonight, if you will, to issues pertaining to the elected school board. Um, uh, Also, we'll be uh, taking questions Throughout the evening on Twitter, for those of you at home, uh, I'll be checking my phone. I'm not like playing Tiny Wings over here. I'm going to be checking Twitter to see if we have questions from the from the internet crowd. Uh, You can ask us questions using the hashtag #CodeTownHall. C O D E Town Hall, uh, which is a good segue into what is Code. On on the materials that you all have gotten tonight, you have seen the the word. Uh, the, the acronym, I should say, CODE, Communities Organized for Democracy in Education. That is the coalition that is responsible for this evening's event and that is fighting for uh, the change in Chicago School Board to change it to an elected setup. Now, who is CODE? CODE is an amazing coalition of grassroots neighborhood organizations all around the city that are working on this issue. Um, Let's see, COCO, Kenwood, Oakland Community Organization, and LACE, Parents in the 19th Ward, the Albany Park Neighborhood Council, Northside Action for Justice, many other community groups as well as citywide groups like uh, the Teachers Union has been very supportive, of course, the Raise Your Hand, uh, Parents for Teachers, Teachers for Social Justice, uh, a number of Influential and well-organized organizations from around the city have come together to work on this issue. Now, what CODE is doing is twofold. I want to give you a brief introduction to this issue before we uh, let our speakers go. Um, On the one hand, CODE is working on draft legislation to get this changed. And that's what's going to handle a lot of the nitty-gritty. We're going to discuss that in much greater depth later in the evening. Um, But the law is actually a state law that governs our city's School board, which is interesting in and of itself. So the group is working to lobby state representatives and state senators to support this issue, and is working on drawing up some legislation that's going to provide a really good framework for electing the school board. But we're also working on this referendum that is going to be on the ballot across the city in uh, in the upcoming election. Uh, this referendum, in order to get it on the ballot, we had to collect signatures precinct by precinct, door by door, voter by voter. It was an arduous process, uh, but a very powerful one, a very impactful one. I'm proud to say the organization collected 10,000 signatures around the city, and we are on the ballot in 327 precincts citywide. (laughs) And I uh, I worked with many of the folks organized here in Logan Square, and we're on the ballot in around 60 precincts in this area. So if you live... In the greater Logan Square area, this will likely be on your ballot when you go vote. Uh, And the question is what's called an advisory referendum, which means that it's not going to change the law. As I said, the law has to be changed in Springfield. But it's going to be an expression of public opinion uh, about this issue so that we can go to our legislators and say, hey, listen, this percentage of your constituents feels really strongly about this issue, supports an elected school board. So that's, the, that's what's happening with the referendum. And um, our current mission is to inform the electorate that this is even on their ballot. It's going to be all the way at the very bottom. So to urge people to get past that ballot fatigue, get all the way to the bottom, and, uh, and to vote on this referendum. So that's in part why we're here tonight, to, uh, to spread some information about this referendum. A brief, very brief word. I know I'm talking a lot here. Y'all are here to see these guys. But uh, a very brief word about um, about how I got involved in this issue. Uh, as many of you know, I ran for state representative in this community. Uh, and during that process, I went and uh, I went. It was a grassroots campaign. I went door to door and knocked on, on thousands of doors across the neighborhood and, and had conversations with thousands of people. And uh, what was so fascinating is that regardless of whether folks were parents of young children or not, regardless of where folks were from or what their background was, education was a huge issue on people's mind throughout that campaign. Uh, and so after the campaign, I knew that it was something that I wanted to continue to work on. And then all of a sudden, uh, over the summer, the eyes of the nation turned our city during during the strike. Uh, and there was a lot of talk about who, uh, about the, the individual particular issues that needed to be resolved. There was talk about who was going to win the spin war and the media war and perception and all this stuff. And I think one question that wasn't asked often enough is why? Why did we have a strike in the first place? Why did our teachers have to walk out of their jobs and head to the picket lines just to have their voices heard, just to have a seat at the negotiating table? Uh, and I think an answer to that question, it's not the only answer, but an important answer to that question is that the leadership of Chicago Public Schools, the school board, is not accountable to the teachers. It's not accountable to our parents. It's not accountable to our community members. It's accountable first and only to the mayor. So as a result, uh, that body had no investment in listening to. The community when we when we asked for change, so drastic measures were called for. Uh, now, an elected school board. I don't think it's a, a panacea. I don't think it's a cure all. I don't think any of us here would say that it is. But I think it's a vital first step towards having leadership in our schools that's more responsive to what our community really wants, and also ultimately to having a school system that serves every child equally and fairly. That. <laughs> That's right. It's very important. You know, a school system that cares about children in every neighborhood and that listens to parents in every neighborhood, not just the ones uh, who are the most vocal, not just the ones who have the resources and the time to get up at 5.30 a.m. and take the morning off of work and go to the school board meeting, uh, but every parent, every child. uh, And our school board needs to be out in our community listening to us and fighting for us, not fighting against us. So uh, with that being said, that's how I wound up here um, on the stage with this incredibly distinguished panel. Uh, And I want to allow our panelists to say a few words uh, each about the issues that brought them here. Uh, So first, uh, the woman to my left, and he's no introduction, Karen Lewis, the president of the Chicago Teachers Union.
2: Thank you, Will. Thank you. One of the things I think Will just pointed out was how do you actually get to a Chicago Board of Education meeting. And it requires that you, if you really want to be heard, you have to be downtown by 6 o'clock to stand in line. Downtown, where there's parking, if there is parking, it's extraordinarily expensive, especially if you have, and if you're a teacher or a paraprofessional or a clinician, you have to take a day off of work without pay or a personal business day because obviously you can't take a sick day and go to the board and complain. But the problem with that is why are meetings even held downtown on Wednesday mornings? Who is that convenient for? It is convenient for the members of the school board. It is certainly not convenient for the people who live in the community or certainly people who work in the schools. So part of the problem is we have a very unresponsive board to the needs of the community. And The question is, how do you make them accountable? So four years ago, when I was a classroom teacher and I was looking at the school closing issue, even though it wasn't going to affect me, I knew we had to take a stand. We had to talk to people, and we had to be heard. And one of the things we said is, we asked the school board, do you all actually read the transcripts from the hearings, hearings, where they have public comment and hearings. And and what we heard was, no, they really didn't read the transcripts. They were advised by the CEO. So they made decisions without reading the transcripts, without ever going to set foot into the schools that they were going to close or turn around or whatever this week's terminology is for it. That's problematic because when you do not have experience with the real process, then you're making decisions in an ivory tower and an air-conditioned ivory tower, by the way. And and part of the problem is to go downtown and realize that after you've stood in line for at least two hours and sometimes longer, depending upon how exciting the topic is, um, you get exactly two minutes to state your case. And to people who are often texting or looking around or never giving you eye contact, So not only are they distant, they're almost disrespectful. It's as if you do not matter. So one of the problems that we see is that without an elected representative school board, then we feel strongly that people are not taking real ownership of the problems. They're making decisions based on experts, And those experts infinitely never worked a day in Chicago public schools. They don't send their children to Chicago public schools. There are all these kinds of things that happen that absolutely make no sense. And we feel that an elected representative school board is a step in the direction, not only to accountability, but ultimately to a better form of democracy.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Karen. Uh, I was actually going to introduce her when I said she needs no introduction. I was just a turn of phrase, but y'all clearly <laughs> know who she is. So uh, with that being said, Pauline also needs no introduction, but I will introduce her uh, at a, a bit of length. Pauline is a professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago uh, who has written several acclaimed books on the subject of uh, Urban education, in particular, race and class issues surrounding urban education. Uh, she's also a founder of Teachers for Social Justice, a group I mentioned before, which is a member of CODE, and it's uh, a, a group of very organized and very active teachers who are speaking out for uh, for a better public education system in the city of Chicago. Uh, so, with that being said, Pauline, take it away, Pauline Lemon. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Will, um, and thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited. This is a huge crowd. This is <laughs> a great crowd. Um, since I only have a few minutes, I think what I should probably talk about is um, the study that we did around an elected school board and just talk about some of the evidence. Um, so uh, uh, a year ago, well, February 2011, oh, that's almost two years ago, um, things, a lot of things happened in Chicago, um, we did, there has been for about the past five years at least um, a, a movement for an elected school board. There was a, a previous referendum that didn't really get all that many signatures, but now what we see is after so many years of school closings and failed CPS policies and the courageous stand of the Chicago Teachers Union that the time has really come. So Um, In February 2011, we did this um, small study to look at an elected school board and what's the evidence around elected school boards. And first of all, you know the argument for an appointed school board is that appointed boards are a lot more effective. And so we looked at the research, and we found out, in fact, that if you look at measures, which I don't actually think are the main measures we should be looking at, but if you look at things like student achievement or graduation rates, which are important, um, that appointed boards are doing no better than elected boards. So that argument, there's no evidence for it. Furthermore, you know, we live in Chicago, and sometimes, Sometimes you feel like Chicago is the whole world, but guess what? Over 90% of the school boards in the U.S. are elected. They're not appointed. Um, So Chicago is the outlier rather than the common denominator, and Chicago was really the forerunner of having mayor-appointed boards around the country. So when we, um, when we looked at the evidence, one of the things that we did was we studied a, elected big city school boards around the country and how they work. And I'm not saying these are the greatest school boards in the world either, because we really are proposing a different model of an elected school board here in Chicago. But those boards, most of them, they meet at night, they meet in the community, They have task forces. In Milwaukee, the board cannot take an issue to the board until they've had a whole series of community meetings and a community task force so that issues come up through the community. So the things that we experience in Chicago, all these undemocratic practices in Chicago, really dictatorial practices in Chicago, do not exist for better or worse, where there are elected school boards. I don't know how many of you have actually been to a school board meeting, like Karen was describing. So a few years ago, parents in Oak Hill Gardens were fighting to keep their neighborhood school, to get a a neighborhood school, and to fighting against their neighborhood school being turned into a charter school. And that's actually where I first met them, at a school board meeting. They were the first ones in line to speak. They had to get up not at 5.30. They had to get up at 4 a.m. and take three buses and a train to stand in line at 6 o'clock in the morning, to sign up to speak at 8 o'clock in the morning, to not get to speak until 10.30 in the morning for two minutes. And only one person could speak from that group on that issue. So in terms of the processes of elected boards, we could have a very different process. Chicago's board is, of course, appointed by the mayor, as everyone knows. Check it out. It's made uh, made up of CEOs, bankers, and real estate developers, not the people who attend Chicago public schools and whose children attend Chicago public schools. But I think most important is what, has, what have been the outcomes of this board. So if you look at this mayor-appointed board since 1995, the results have been disastrous. There's been very little improvement in graduation rates, in dropout rates, in academic achievement, even as the board measures it. And the racial gaps have increased. The gaps between white students and students of color, African-American, and Latino students have gotten worse under this board. And for children who live in black communities and Latino communities, these policies have been devastating. So over 100 schools have been closed. All but two of them are in low-income communities of color. These are schools that have been disinvested in by the policies of this board for years and years, destabilized by a revolving door of appointed officers and programs and probation officers, and then set up for failure and closed. These are in communities that have been disinvested in. So these schools are anchors in these communities. When you close a school, you destroy a community. And that's why people get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to stand in line for two hours to try to make people who aren't listening to them listen to them because of how devastating these policies are. So, you know, sometimes we talk about this in very polite terms. Like, you know, this is not good for the children's education. That You know, over 80% of the kids from closed schools have gone to schools that are no better than the schools that were closed. That's what the research shows that the charter schools are doing no better than the regular public schools, and they're expanding charter schools, giving more money to charter schools while disinvesting in neighborhood schools. But if we're not polite about it and if we're honest about it, this board has robbed those children of their education. So we are talking about not something that's just undemocratic and unfair and isn't doing well. We are talking about... Practices that are absolutely criminal for those communities. So for those communities, we have to... And for all communities that are facing this... I mean, I don't know how many of you have kids in the schools, but our schools have turned into testing centers. Testing centers. When CTU went on strike and they were saying we need more art, more music, more gym, more social workers, more psychologists... You should be applauding her, not me. the 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 reason we don't have those is because we have a board that sets certain policies and priorities. So this has been really devastating. So I should stop, but I want to say what that I want to second what Will said. We in code are not saying that an elected board is going to fix all that. We need different policies. We need different practices. We need a whole democratic process to involve people in in changing our schools. But we cannot get off square one with this appointed board. It doesn't matter what you do. They won't change anything. So we need a board that is accountable Not to Mayor Emanuel and the bankers of this city. We need a board that's accountable to the people in this room and the people in rooms like this across the city as a first step to get the schools that our children deserve.
0: Thank you, Colin. Thank you so much. Now, our next speaker tonight uh, wasn't on the promotional materials that you all may have seen for this event, uh, only because we were talking to a few parents in the community, but we're very, very lucky to have her here tonight. Uh, This is Delia Bonilla. She is a a parent in the Logan Square neighborhood. She's also an LSC member at Ames Middle School. Um. And she is here tonight to speak with us about what's happening at that school and how that plays into the larger uh, picture with the school board. Uh, Matt is going to take a moment off from his live translation. Uh, Delia is going to give her prepared remarks in Spanish, and Matt will be translating them for us uh, line by line as we go. Delia Bonilla.
3: Thank you. Uh, buenas noches a todos.
4: Good evening to everybody.
3: Mi nombre es Delia Bonilla. Soy padre, madre de dos hijos. My name is Delia
4: Bonilla, and I'm a mother of two children.
3: De las escuelas públicas de Chicago.
4: Who go to Chicago public schools.
3: Y soy miembro del consejo de la escuela Ames Middle School.
4: I'm also a member of the local school council at Ames Middle School.
3: Y soy un líder del Logan Square Neighborhood Association. And
4: I'm a leader within Logan Square Neighborhood Association.
3: <laughs> en, en la escuela Ames eh, estamos trabajando muy duro. In AIM
4: School, we're working very hard.
3: Más que una escuela es un It's
4: more than a school; it's a community center.
3: Uh, hay programas para los padres, como es el programa de There's
4: programs for parents, like the parent mentor
3: program. mentor I've been
4: working for three years as a parent mentor, and I'm involved in what's happening in our public schools.
3: Eh, estamos trabajando también ahí eh, clases para los padres de, eh, tomando ing- el inglés como segundo idioma.
4: We also work there on classes for parents for English as a second language.
3: Y hay un programa que se llama Elevate. Este programa es para los niños después de la escuela.
4: There's also a program called Elevate, which is an after-school program for kids. El
3: cual nosotros los padres estamos muy orgullosos porque acaba de tener un reconocimiento de un premio de la Casa Blanca.
4: And we parents are very proud of it. It just received an award from the White House.
3: En el mes de abril nosotros escuchamos eh, que se hizo... Um, un un movimiento, ¿verdad? de donde nosotros, nuestros niños de séptimo y octavo grado se movieron de la escuela Ames, los movieron a la escuela Mozart y nuestro director, princip- nuestro principal de nuestra escuela y de la Mozart no supieron nada.
4: And in uh, the month of April we found out about a movement change that was going to happen where they were going to take our kids from 7th and 8th grade from Ames and send them over to Mozart and our principal didn't even know that that was happening.
3: Nosotros eh, le hemos estado pidiendo a la Junta de Educación qué es lo que está pasando, porque ellos dicen que se hizo una reunión para informarnos, una reunión comunitaria, siendo que nosotros no hemos eh, visto esas minutas para informarnos.
4: We were asking as parents to the Board of Education what about this move, and they said that they had done a community meeting, but we didn't, we don't know about that community meeting, and didn't receive the minutes from it to be informed.
3: Nuestra escuela eh, está siendo uh, tal vez blanco de que la quieren convertir en una escuela militar.
4: And our school they're using, they might want to change it into a military school.
3: Y nosotros los padres no estamos de acuerdo porque esa escuela le pertenece a nuestros hijos de nuestra comunidad.
4: And we're not in agreement with that. That school belongs to our kids in our community.
3: Mm-hmm. Nosotros estamos trabajando arduamente para conseguir eh, que la escuela se quede en la comunidad, y para eso nosotros eh, se creó, junto con el Logan Square Neighborhood Association, un concilio de tres escuelas.
4: And we're working very hard to make sure that our school stays within our community, and that's why with Logan Square Neighborhood Association, we created a council, of including three schools.
3: Estamos haciendo reuniones... Con la comunidad para dejarles saber qué es lo que está pasando con nuestra escuela y estamos tocando puertas.
4: We're carrying out meetings with the community to let them know what's going on with our school, and we're knocking on doors.
3: Para comprobar lo que les estoy diciendo, aquí en mi mano tengo un uh, borde de la comunidad que ha firmado mil personas que están en desacuerdo que nuestra escuela sea militar y que queremos que sea.
4: To show you that what I'm talking about is true, I have here a banner from the community with signatures signed by our community showing that we're not in agreement with this. We don't want it to be a military school.
3: Queremos decirles a la Junta de Educación que nosotros queremos trabajar y que no nos tengan a puertas cerradas todo lo que ellos quieren hacer con nosotros.
4: We want to say to the Board of Education, we want to work with them, but they can't close the doors on us so that they do whatever they want to do with us.
3: Queremos que se escuche nuestra voz.
4: We want them to hear our voices.
3: De nuestros maestros, nuestros estudiantes y principalmente de los padres.
4: And the, vo- the voices of, our stu- of the students, of the teachers, and of course, mainly of the parents.
3: It's
4: important that we have an elected school board so that we get to elect the people that are going to govern the education of our children.
3: Yo no puedo creer cómo pueden decir, si yo me pueden decir a mí, vete a la NASA y forma un siéntate ahí para poder manejar la NASA, siendo que yo no sé qué es lo que está pasando. Eso mismo es lo que está pasando con las juntas de educación que no nos quieren abrir las puertas. I
4: don't know how they could for example send me to NASA and say sit there to make the decisions about what's going on with NASA. That's the same thing that they're doing with our kids, sending people that they don't know to make our decisions.
3: Y por eso Y por eso nosotros los padres estamos aquí para luchar, para hacerle frente y decirle, nosotros exigimos que se nos escuche nuestra voz por la educación de nuestros hijos y el futuro de ellos.
4: And that's, that's why we parents are here to say, to de- demand of them, we demand you listen to our voices for the future of our chil- education of our children.
3: Gracias. Thank
4: you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Daley. Thank you, Matt, for helping out as well. Uh, Our last speaker is a uh, a veteran reporter at the Chicago Reader. Uh, He has spent his career shedding light on issues, uh, many of which aren't particularly sexy. Uh, Tax increment financing is not the kind of thing that you might think a man could build a career on. But... Uh, Ben Jaravski has uh, taken that seemingly sort of technocratic issue and shed light on it as uh, a, a core component of some of the central injustices in the way our city is structured and has really uh, brought, brought that and, and many other uh, issues to the public eye, uh, Consider even recently the, the reporting that he's done on, uh, on marijuana policy in the city of Chicago uh, and the injustices that exist there. I'm sure uh, many of you all have read his work. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear him speak, you're in for a treat. Ben Jaravsky.
5: Well, thank you, Will, for inviting me or Wendy or whoever invited me. I'm not quite sure who invited me. I'm not even quite sure why I'm here to tell you the truth. I probably should be sitting in there listening and taking notes, uh, preparing to write a story about this. That's generally what I'm more comfortable doing uh, than filling it with all sorts of wisecracks and asides. probably work a way so find some way to work in what Rahm Manuel said to Karen Lewis when they met uh, the last time <laughs> which, which is a quote I'll just never tire of using uh, I, I'm a little familiar with your movement here I, I think I already wrote an article about it as a matter of fact so um, that makes me an expert in my eyes and um, I have to tell you uh, i 'm going to disappoint you here i 'm a very uh skeptical cheerleader uh, regarding this movement uh, when it comes to uh, democracy in chicago uh, <laughs> I have to tell you i 'm not really uh, i 'm not really a believer in it it hasn 't really worked that well in my lifetime. Uh, I got off to a great start i 'm not from chicago but I lived here for a year in 1979, and when I was here, Jane Byrne defeated Michael Bolanik, which was just like a phenomenal upset that it was so amazing. Everyone was so excited. And then four years later, when I had actually settled in Chicago, Harold Washington defeated Jane Byrne, which is even more of a monumental upset, and I was sort of like a rookie on a basketball team. Excuse me for talking about sports. Um, <laughs> who, like, wins the championship in his first year, and it's like, dang, this is easy, and it's been all sort of downhill ever since. Uh, Pretty much every candidate I have ever voted for on a local level has lost. Uh, I think, and if they have won, they so quickly were co-opted by the people they said they were going to fight that I wish I hadn't voted for them in the first place. Um, It's actually sort of been my... Uh, experience in politics in general, not just on the local scene. Uh, But having said that, (laughs) uh, I'm always looking for new encouraging things, okay, about democracy in Chicago. So right now, I think it will be no surprise to to anybody in this room and definitely to nobody on this stage, uh, our Board of Education as it has been since 1995, has been a collection of rubber stamps. I don't think it could get any worse in terms as of being rubber stamps. I don't believe I've ever heard an independent thought authored just a thought, not a negative vote. I'm just talking about a thought offered by anybody at the Board of Education in any degree, uh, in any position, uh, you know, any any low-level bureaucratic thing uh, ever. So I I don't ask for a lot out of an elected school board. I am working from the assumption, and I may be naive even as I think of this, that I don't know the details of what... Our state reps will come up with, God help us all. Uh, I'm not really encouraged that they're the ones drafting it, uh, to tell you the truth. But I'm working with what I've got. So I work from the assumption, let's say they have six, five, is that what you have? You've got a notion, five, 13, that's where we're at now, lucky 13. I presume that the city of Chicago is capable of electing at least one Independent thinking person out of thirteen, and I don't even—they don't even have to agree with me on everything. Just dare to oppose the mayor every now and then. I'll take a libertarian actually at this stage. So I'm—I'm I'm ready to be a very skeptical cheerleader for this movement, uh, and um, I'm hoping, of course, that this is just a start to something much greater. When I moved to Chicago in the early 80s, it was actually the politics of race in the schools that led to Harold Washington's victory. It was one of the catalysts that led to Harold Washington's victory. So maybe this group here in this auditorium and this movement in Springfield and throughout the city will lead to an even greater triumph in four years, uh, or is it four years or two years? Whenever the next mayoral election is. So anyway, uh, even though I'm skeptical, I have grand hopes from your movement. Thank you.
0: Thank you, man. <laughs> so as I said, I'm going to ask a, a, a quick question to each of you all. And uh, because we're running a little bit behind, I want to make it quick. I want to make sure we get as many of your questions as possible. Uh, if those, are those clipboards still circulating out there? Uh, I think my lovely volunteers have got them collected more or less. So I'll uh, I'm going to start going through those in just a moment and, and call on y'all in just a minute. But um, very very briefly from each of you. First, Ben, uh, you asked me uh, <laughs> you asked why you were here uh, and and the reason why I wanted to have you on this panel was because uh, you are. Uh, Occasionally, uh, a bit curmudgeonly in your in your column, but when you when you wrote about this movement, uh, I was really struck by um, by the the optimism in your tone that the possibilities that you saw uh, a, a rare but truly touching optimism from I mean, the possibilities that you saw from what this movement could bring to the city as a whole. So, I, I guess very briefly, how do you see? Uh, the organization that's happening now around this issue having a longer term impact on the progressive or independent politics of the city? Uh, in five
5: words, I think I-, I was just so excited that they uh, decriminalized marijuana that I just got carried over. The- Actually, they didn't really even decriminalize, but I'm not allowed to talk about marijuana. Um, uh, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> what was the question? The, uh, How this could lead to a progressive yeah, movement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, Will, I, I, again, I hate to be so skeptical, but um, uh, I think in Chicago, I hate to put it this way, but it's only when people really believe in something and then they get kicked in the teeth and then they respond that you get change. And um, so uh, the recent teacher strike was, you know, uh, a shining example of that. Um, As, as, as one or two people in this room may know, I didn't believe that teachers were actually going to go on strike. And, um, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, the reason I didn't think they were going to go on strike was because I thought for certain, this is how naive I am, I thought for certain that the powers that be, when they saw that the teachers were about to go on strike, would immediately offer a deal that would head off a strike. I was really surprised when they dragged it out for as long as they did. Uh, So this is my way of saying that elected school board movement is going to get hit in the head so many times. You already got Joe Moore cut you off at the path. When he he blocked you, (laughs) Mike in the front row, he blocked you from getting it on a, uh, a citywide basis, so you already got cut off there. Uh, I don't know if they've challenged petitions and individual wards. I guess they decided that since it's precinct by precinct, they weren't going to bother with the petition challenging. That would have happened uh, if you had gotten on an award-by-ward ward basis. So um, I think that the best thing I could say for it is that if the people who believe in an elected school board are truly tenacious about it, um, they will toughen you up, and you'll be as resilient as the teachers' union is right now. And it will be a challenge to the status quo. And then they'll try to buy you off. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I will really
0: have enjoyed as writing optimistic about that. As an answer as we're going to get out yeah. of Ben, I think. Um, so it turns out that many of the questions I wanted to ask you guys have been anticipated by our brilliant audience. So I'm gonna, uh, I think I'm going to start calling on some folks. Um, a question that a number of people asked that I think is probably best directed first at Pauline. Um, uh, but let's have Laura. Laura Schlegel, I know you're out there somewhere. I see you, darling. Right, how are we going to keep money uh, uh, out of these elections? So, Pauline, do you want to speak to a little bit of the draft yeah, legislation sure. and how we're working
1: on that? Um, yeah, so obviously that's a major concern, right? And since Citizens United, it's really very difficult to do that, as we all know. Um, so we may or may not – I mean, the goal would be to have campaign – um, spending limits, you know, those kinds of things. I don't know, we don't know whether we're going to be able to do that. We've actually been talking with lawyers because of the Citizen United situation. What we do think is, and this is in some ways also um, jumping on what, um, after what um, Ben was saying, is that um, what we foresee is, um, Farther down, the, so legislation is being written right now. Um, there is a proposal for a board that would be um, elected regionally rather than citywide that would be 13 members, and it would be composed of three members from the southeast, three from the southwest, three from the west, and four from the north side, and roughly two of the three in, in three of those districts would be, par- would be parents, um, and it's sort of modeled after the local school council structure. And what, what we know is that in cities where people are, are elected by region rather than citywide, those boards are more representative. Um, you t- tend to have more teachers, parents, community activists on those boards, even in big cities. So that's one thing. The second thing is that um, to get this, to make this happen, is taking right now and is going to take a huge movement. With many aspects to it, it's legislative, it's public education, and it's organizing, which is what we've been doing. And you know, that's—I mean, what you were talking about. I don't think anyone has any illusions. This is this is a big one, <laughs> um, so it is a real battle. But so, what comes out of something like that is like the Washington campaign. When you go through that process to get something, you have the kind of organization to run a slate on a program citywide. So though it would be a grassroots effort of a slate that would have a, a set of policies and programs that represent the kind of things we actually need for our kids citywide and that you know, are it reflected in the school Chicago students deserve, the Chicago Teachers Program, and other programs. Um, so there aren't any guarantees, but there's certainly cognizance of that fact. I wish I could say we got it. Right. The problem is whether it's legal or not because, it we, as we all know, corporations are people. <laughs> there have been many meetings discussing how can we get campaign finance limits and lawyers consulted. So, I mean, everybody's on that page. The question is whether it's... We could, it's questionable whether it's legal.
0: Karen, you want to jump in? Go ahead,
1: please. Yeah. Well, I just want to say
2: the key is... Everywhere in this country, people with a lot of money are buying school board elections. Let's just be real about it. They're doing it. So the key is how do you organize people? I don't care how much money you have. You have one vote. Sorry. These people have one vote. But the key is that we have to reawaken the concept of what being franchised means. Because what we have seen is this huge shift. I mean, when you go to certain other countries where they actually take pride in their turnout and how many people vote and how many people are involved in the process, and we have an electorate that says, you know what, my vote doesn't matter because we look at the parties and we see basically one party, the party of money with two branches, right? So... So that's very frustrating to people. And they keep saying, well, why do I keep doing this? Well, until we start making inroads into getting more and more people to actually come out and vote, then the key is that maybe other parties do spring up. Maybe there are other kinds of of things that we haven't thought about. I'm not as optimistic because I'm almost in the bin phase and part of that is a function of my age Um, because as you've been here on the planet, you've seen this stuff go round and round. But I do know this, if we don't try, it won't happen. Mm -hmm. If we don't actually move forward, it will not happen. Right. That I'm sure of, So I just think that the, the key is, once we also make this a fight for schools, and a fight that children have conversations about the school board in their classrooms, that we bring back civics, that we start talking about politics on a real basis, and we have some critical analysis about what's going on in our neighborhoods so our children can learn to pay attention to seeing why is it in this part of town certain things happen in this part of town where I live, things are different. You don't have to take a busload of kids to Wilmette. We can be right here within the borders and see those differences. But the key is everyone has to be involved and everyone has to have the stakes high enough. And that's what real high stakes are about. Not testing, not all this other crazy stuff, but a real change in policy.
1: Yeah, that's good. good.
0: On the subject of, uh, of elections, uh, a couple of our local elected officials have joined us here tonight. Uh, I just saw you all in the crowd. Welcome to Alderman Joe Moreno from the first ward in the back and Alderman John Arena from the 45th ward here in the front. And if any of y'all else are out there hiding somewhere, let me know. Uh, seeing none, a uh, question from Kyla that I think is going to be addressed probably first to you, Delia. Uh, Kyla? The question was uh, how in the interim uh, between now and an elected school board, how do we uh, how how do we get the school board to be attentive to the issue of closings Uh, or, you know, in the case of Ames, the transition, the the proposed transition to a military school?
4: First and foremost, we have to be people who are involved inside of our schools. You know, like we were talking about the teachers formed into committees involved in their schools and we as parents and community need to be uh, involved already in the schools to be involved in this theme. Because if we parents aren't there involved and if we're not there to express what we need and what our kids need, then they're going to make the decisions for us and say that, oh, the parents, they don't care what happens to their kids. That's why I think it's so important that we parents pay attention to what's going on with the Board of Education, that we be attentive to it and that we, int- that we fight for it to be a collabor- uh, them and the parents and the teachers deciding, not just them making decisions for us. They can't decide the future of our kids without us having a voice.
1: So I just wanted to add one thing, which is that... You know, so we've been fighting these school closings since 2004. Um, We slept out in front of the school board in 2004. And we've been fighting these every single year. It's been the same routine. Every year, you know, they say they're going to close 18 schools, and then they maybe let one or two off the hook, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what you were describing? You know, every year, same story. So I think we're at a different point right now. I think we're at a different point because the teacher strike has changed the education landscape in Chicago. I mean, it really has. It has made people realize that we can fight, that we could fight together, that that teacher strike was led by the CTU, but it was because there were parents and community members supporting the CTU that it was so successful. And... And that did not come from nowhere. That actually came from all these years of fighting school closings uh, that were led by community organizations. And CORE, core that became the leadership of the CTU, grew out of those battles, which were originally led by the communities. So we are in a place now where we have a coalition that is—we have— I don't want to romanticize it but we haven't seen this I don't think since Harold Washington. It is a coalition of community organizations, white, African American and Latino, north side, north side, northwest side, south side, southeast side, unions and the Chicago Teachers Union and people have been are done with this. They're done with going to these meetings and talking to brick walls. And so I think what we're going to see this year is a very different fight around the school closings, which is the only thing that we see from the teachers' strike is the only thing that they do hear or listen to. So we all need – this is the time to step up. This is the teacher strike was step one. The school board – the Campaign for Elected School Board and the Fight Against School Closings, that's two, three. And those are the So let's move on that. There will be an organized campaign. Yeah, I'd like to just
2: turn it up a little bit more, <laughs> if that's possible after Pauline. Poly- please, yeah. I, so the, the key is that it is so easy to be discouraged, and they count on that. Two years ago, three years ago, we saw, three years ago, we saw them take six schools off the hit list. That had never happened. We saw them actually come to communities and be a part and listen to what was going on at the hearings so that board members actually went to the communities. That had never happened before. These things are actually moving and changing. Now, last year we got a new mayor and I guess he just had to show who he was, so we got nothing last year. Whatever action they put up, that's what happened. Well, of course we expected that. Who did he put in charge of the school board? The head of AUSL, who was a turnaround specialist, and the head Um, chief administrative uh, person was also from AUSL. So we knew that AUSL was gonna get all the schools they wanted because the year before they hadn't. I mean, but the key is we also have to be very vocal and tell the world what goes on. The key is if they can do all this stuff behind closed doors and make all these decisions behind closed doors, then they get to win. So the key is, it's extraordinarily important for us to start connecting the dots. Who are these people? The same people that funded the mayor's um, um, campaign also funded Stand On Children. So if you are standing on children to push your uh, so-called reform agenda forward, and where were they, by the way, during the strike? Where was Stand On Children? Where were all their parents that they claimed they had? Where were they? Where was Advance Illinois who pushed that legislation down in Springfield? Where were their parents? Where were their supporters? But what they could do is put $1.7 million in a radio ad campaign and in a TV campaign. That's what they can do. They can spend a lot of money. But we just show the hollowness of their of their organizations. They are hollow. We have poke holes in them. So it's time to like tear off the masks, pull the curtains back, and expose these people for the frauds they are. These are our schools. I'm just saying sorry.
0: No, that's I think that's actually a good first of all a great point. And second of all a good segue into another issue that a lot of people asked about David, where are you at? So, your question is: is having an unelected school board as we do now, in some way, a facade that makes us feel as though we have representation uh, without actually having it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I want to also have Roger ask his question, too, because I think these two are tied together. Roger, are you. What those two questions are both getting at is: we talked about money in these elections, um, but what about. Um, what about politicking? Uh, isn't there something, you know, you, you said it, that democracy in Chicago is uh, uh, an oxymoron, as Karen said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but how do we, right, so is there, isn't there something sort of uh, nasty about the political side, or do we really want to introduce that to the school board?
5: Um, well, uh, <laughs> uh, I think the schools are pretty much already complete political animals and so we're not really introducing a political element to the schools right. um, and uh, this is just my humble opinion uh but you invited me here so um uh in my opinion we had a dramatic change in the way the schools were run when mayor Daley left and uh rahm Emanuel took over and uh Uh, My opinion, again, I'm not going to say my opinion anymore because these are all my opinions. So uh, I believe that Rahm Emanuel was using his position as mayor of city of Chicago to advance his political career. I don't know what he wanted to do. My guess was he wanted to be president of the United States. And so his notion was that he would come to Chicago and beat up the Chicago Teachers Union, convert a whole bunch of neighborhood schools to charters, Mm -hmm. uh, turn others around, give them to corporate cronies who donate to his campaign. Mm -hmm. And then he could proclaim that he was a new kind of Democrat that uh, knew how to control unions and keep them in line. Now, how he thought that was going to win him the vote in Iowa in a Democratic caucus, I don't understand. But I'm not his political advisor. I believe that was his purpose. So he came to town and he, from the get-go, waged war against the Chicago Teachers Union. And then as the war continued, he was suddenly finding himself fighting parents in Beverly and uh, uh, other areas of Chicago uh, who did not just want to be dictated to uh, by the mayor. So that's where we sort of stand right now. And I don't know what plan b is for mayor emmanuel at this stage he lost pretty bad with this strike uh, i believe that right now he's very unpopular in the black community uh, and uh it was the black community that elected him which he apparently forgot uh or never knew to begin with and um so it's not like I'm blaming the entire black community for Rahm Emanuel being mayor, but I sort of am. And um, so I really don't know what he's going to do now. And it could be a huge advantage, uh, you know, for uh, uh, activists to go on in the neighborhoods. Uh, it, may be, it may force a few aldermen to turn around. You know, that's all, we have some aldermen in the, uh, in the audience, and they know probably better than I do Um, how much they're controlled as a body by the mayor and how difficult it is to... You think... Well, wait. The Board of Education is actually more compliant than the city council. The city council will... You could get maybe five people to vote against selling the parking meters, for instance. You would have a unanimous vote if it was up to the Board of Education to do that. So, um, So what I'm hoping is that in terms of just growing a... Democratic small D movement in Chicago, that we that this movement here can encourage some aldermen to speak up, and maybe you'll get some aldermen to speak up about the school closings, and then you maybe maybe they'll take the next step and talk about testing or whatever. Um, so, even though I started off by saying I was very skeptical, um, you know, I guess Karen's right if you just completely give up. What are you going to do? Just watch
0: the bulls or something? I, don't
1: know. Yeah. Uh, well,
0: I think, again, that's a good segue into um, Gala's question. Gala, are you out there? The question was, what happens after November 6th, after the referendum is voted on? Uh, what next?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, <clears throat> so um, the the referendum is an advisory referendum. It's in over 300 precincts. The reason why it's a precinct-by-precinct precinct referendum instead of a citywide referendum, which of course would be you know, more, potentially more powerful um, and make a bigger uh, statement, is because the city council actually gets to decide what um, advisory referenda are on the ballot. And we wanted to make sure that it actually got on a ballot or two. So um, that's why it's on over, but it's on over 300 precincts. And um, as long as people know it's on the ballot, and vote, it will certainly be approved. Because when we went door to door, we had a really hard time finding somebody. Well, you went door to door, you know this. You had a really hard time finding somebody who said, no, I don't want an elected board. I really love you know, a small group of very rich dictators deciding what's happening in Chicago public schools. And everything's so great in our schools anyway. Um, so it's, it's popular, but people need to know about it. So we have, actually have a lot of work to do um, before Election Day. We need to go into every precinct where it's on the ballot, and we're organizing to do that, and that's one of the reasons why there's that code table over there, um, to remind people that it is on the ballot, and to find it on the 22nd page at the bottom where they put it, um, so that people can vote yes. Um, and we need to be out there on Election Day at the polls, letting people know, with and we've got the literature and all of that, letting people know it's on the ballot, don't forget don't get ballot fatigue. You know, actually vote for it. So once once that phase is over, then the next phase is is getting the bill before the state legislature. Now nobody thinks that the state legislature we just handed it to the state legislature. Cool, we're done. I mean, as Ben said, this is a long. This is this is a a, a protracted campaign. So we're getting sponsors for that, then we need to actually push on our state legislators and tell them why they need to support it. And, you know, outside of Chicago, a lot of downstate Republican legislators would be like nothing better than to get the Chicago public schools off their plate. They're really not all that excited about the fact that that all the issues in Chicago public schools keep coming back to them because they passed this legislation giving the mayor control of the school board. So we need uh, to have all kinds of mass public education campaigns to push the legislature to actually vote for it. And once that happens, then we have the huge job that everyone was talking about before of electing a slate that actually represents us. And and so this is going to be an ongoing process. But th- those are the next steps. So we actually have a whole lot of work to do in the next, how long is it? Two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> Two weeks.
0: Uh, Karen, really quickly.
1: Yeah, I just
2: want to say very quickly, you will learn that just putting all your eggs in one little basket is going to always, you know, Yeah. You know it's going to happen. You're going to have omelets. Um, So the legislative piece can still only be one piece. That's right. You have to understand that that's one piece. The other piece is the pressure that every day citizens, voters, taxpayers, whatever they're calling you this week, right? Because they're trying to appeal to you that you put pressure on your elected officials too, okay? So when they start getting like 10,000 phone calls and 400 emails every single 15 minutes, they're like blasted on emails, then all of a sudden they're like, well, maybe we should pay attention to this. So the key is the legislative piece is one piece, the organizing piece is another piece, and the whole push to find appropriate candidates is a third piece. this has to happen in concert. So yes. you can't have one thing and you don't have these other things going. So the key is that is why when we talk about it takes a lot of work, it does. This is a never ending quest for justice. So we either do this or we don't.
0: Well, uh- in the interest of being respectful to y'all's time we're getting close to 8.30 when I told you we'd wrap up um, so I want to sort of bundle a couple of questions into the sort of closing remarks here. Um, Sarah's question and Corinne's question uh, were questions about how to spread the word and, and how to how to work on this, uh, on this issue and it speaks to a lot of what we were just talking about here um, and yeah just to jump off that a little bit uh, I mean I think our alderman could probably speak to this uh, you know as local elected officials, if you get 50 calls on something in one day, that is like a landslide compared to the usual volume that your phone is ringing. I mean, that is, it doesn't take a tremendous amount for us to make our local officials responsive. Um, So the fact that you all are here tonight uh, is an incredibly encouraging sign and puts you all in Uh, a small but growing group of people in this community around the city who are active and concerned about this issue. So first of all, a round of applause for yourselves just for being here tonight. But um, We can't go on applauding for ourselves all night because that only gets us so far. Uh, We need to take action. Uh, And I think that was made very clear. If you at the end of this evening are persuaded, are encouraged, are motivated to pursue that never-ending struggle for justice, we need you. Uh, this community needs you this city needs you, this fight needs you so as you came in there was an opportunity to sign up to volunteer, in particular the run up to the election, I mean we're two weeks away and as you all know I bet many of your neighbors have no idea that this is on their ballot so start by talking to them when you see them uh, on the street tomorrow Start by talking to your neighbors. But more importantly, the weekend before the election, we are going to have a mass effort all around the city uh, to get flyers in people's doors and in their mailboxes, letting them know that this is on their ballot and they need to vote yes. And on election day, we are gonna need to have passers at all the polling places all over this city with palm cards reminding people that they have to vote yes on this. And yes, it is all the way at the bottom of the third page of your ballot, but it could not be more important. Uh, and it's unfortunate that it's buried down there, and we could, you know, talk about why, of course. But, uh, but there it is. So it's on us to educate people and to motivate them to get out there. So uh, please, we need you guys to join this fight. Uh, we need you to help us get the word out. Um, So if you haven't already, please get back to those sign-in tables and and check off one of those boxes for a time that you can volunteer, and we'll be in touch with you about how to get involved. Uh, But with that being said, I want to thank one more time this incredible panel. Uh, It's been a real pleasure having you here tonight. I want to thank you all one more time for coming out. Uh, Thank you for your wonderful questions. Uh, And a very quick last word before I let you go. Um, We talked a lot tonight about getting people involved in the electoral democratic process, right? Getting people involved in registering to vote and voting. There is a fantastic young organization called Chicago Votes whose mission is just that. They are 501c3, nonpartisan. Their only goal is to get people registered and to get people aware of the issues and to get people voting. Uh, so they're a strong ally for this cause. They're set up in the back. Uh, Sophie is waving her hand right there. There's a table there. So to find out more about what that organization is up to right now, uh, please go and see them. But thank you all so much for coming. Have a wonderful night.